and welcome to the Order of Initiative. This is a Dungeons and Dragons podcast where me and my friends talk about DMing and everything you could want to know about running your game. I'm Charles, and with me today I have Nathan. I I didn't hear him, but he God probably said something. <laughs> Hello, hello. <laughs> and Tori. Hi there. Today, we're talking about warlocks. Finally! Uh, uh, but before so we start, <laughs> before we start, we're going to roll initiative to see who goes first. Please. Gygax, be with me. Well, he's not, he's not with me so much. That's a 17. 10. Yeah, I got a 6. Oof. Did you get Tori? I got it. I got a ten. Mm. Right, Nathan. Did you talk? Didn't have... you talk first during Rangers, Charles? I don't know, but the dice have spoken. It's true. Yeah. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. If that was the case, then this is oh, yeah. my retribution. <laughs> yes. Yes. We have to trade. Apparently. Uh. So warlocks. Uh. I think warlocks. Uh, you know, it's it's if you watch the show, you're, it's very well apparent that Rangers are my favorite class. But I think warlocks are one of the cooler classes and more well designed classes in this edition. Uh, part of it being that they've got, um, I mean, they've got a backstory built in. Uh, it, they've come, they come with this this high, powerful being that's personally decided that you're going to wield their powers. And how did that come to be? Was it through force of persuasion? Was it some sort of curse? Did you make a really bad decision? The answer to all these questions is probably yes. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna pass it over to Charles, who's who's a real, real big fan of this class, because I, I want to know what about them. Uh, uh, really, really makes makes Charles like them so much, and uh, besides being one of the edgiest classes in the game. Hey, hey, I <laughs> wish I could refute that. I can't. <laughs> um, aesthetically, yes, they are. That's a huge like appeal factor for me, and I've said it before. But yeah, warlocks are my favorite class for a lot of reasons. I am a huge fan of Lovecraftian horror and cosmic horror and just cosmic entities in general. So the idea that I can pick a class that ties me to a being like that and already starts working on those themes of unknowable beings or at least immensely powerful beings is so fun. And like you said, Nathan, it it, it helps set up a backstory, I think, a lot faster than other classes. Like... Sure, there's there's something you can build off if you're a wizard or a ranger. Like, there's elements to your, your character there that you can find. But I feel like Warlock is the strongest, or at least the most prominent, that will show up in your background because you have this pack to this insanely powerful being. Mm. And you have to figure out the details of that pack. Like, kind of like you, you touched on already, how it came about to be. Did you seek it out yourself? Was it forced upon you? It also helps inform your character's current actions like result are, are surrounding the pact are they trying to get rid of it are they just trying to find out more about their patron um and as i was prepping for this i, I think i realized other elements of, of why i like warlock i think the fact that you have to build up this pact and build up this relationship helps you build up the personality of your character earlier than other classes necessarily would because you have to figure out how your character feels about the pact, how they feel about the patron, and if they sought out the pact in the first place. And I just feel like there's more groundwork 
that you're given when you're a warlock that you can start just building a, a character and personality off of. Mm. Sort of like at its at its basis level, um, it's it's basically adding another NPC just in, in character creation yeah. for you. Like uh, it sure it might be some unknowable cosmic horror that uh, it communicates to you directly via tentacles, but like it's it's still like some sort of entity out there that may or may not need to be elaborated upon later. Whereas if you play a ranger, you're just some dude who lives in the woods. <laughs> yeah. Which is fun. And you can fix there's stuff to figure out there, like as why you live in the woods and why or why you chose to, things like that. But I, I think when you're building up characters, um having NPCs they know is a really good tool to figuring out your character's personality. Just to figure out relationships and how they feel about people and different ideas and yeah, the, the patron is definitely an NPC, mm-hmm. even if they are very exotic. Yes. Uh, 100% agree on that one. I just like, honestly, it just a lot of it comes down to my love for Lovecraftian. Mm-hmm. And you don't always have to pick, you know, the great old one patron. Um, there's fiends and and archfey and... You don't even really of... have to be, like, evil anymore. Mm-mm. Yeah. You got celestials in play. Yeah. That's true. And I think a lot of the times, like, I don't usually think of warlocks as evil or that they're patrons, I guess is what you meant. Yeah. I, I just like the idea of them being caught up in something just outside of, uh, I don't know, kind of like getting in too deep with something they didn't fully understand. And I feel like there's a lot of examples of warlock-like characters in media. You know, when a character stumbles upon an ancient artifact that's far more powerful than they realized i feel like that's a warlock it's basically like the, the sort of the idea of like a wizards uh study and learn to uh, to acquire their power they, they put an effort to do it sorcerers are born with it uh clerics are are beseeching a god to bestow them powers warlocks are borrowing someone else's power uh, yes and i think that's that's a really interesting and intriguing points to make all, all the other ones have like sort of earned theirs in some ways even like clerics who have it through their devotion I think um, clerics are just warlocks with good PR. That's fair. They're, st- they're still getting it from another I, another I, source. I sort of more like to think about it as as warlocks have a personal relationship with the person granting them their power. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say uh, it. Yeah. They're sugar babies. It's the big yeah. joke, but <laughs> they are. They're the sugar babies of fight five e. <laughs> I usually I like to think of a warlock patron as like they view their patronies they they view the warlocks as like maybe beneath them sometimes they don't even know they exist if it's something akin to cthulhu it might literally not know about your existence because cosmologically they're just so there's so much difference between the two of you yeah i think i think the sort of the big difference like beyond that is like uh i think the pr example is really good but it's sort of like um a warlock can just uh in, in a lot of cases you know sign a paper uh present some blood, shake a hand, you've got powers. Whereas clerics need to, like, <laughs> clerics and paladins need to, like, prove their devotion. Like, there needs to be, like, a level level of faith that's, mm-hmm. like, not present uh, among, you know, the rest of the population to even get a trickle of that power. Uh, and that's sort of where that where that, that energy comes from. So I, I feel like there's still a measure of, like, earning it. Whereas yeah. the warlocks are absolutely borrowing something or dipping their hands in something they don't fully understand or getting way over their heads yeah and i think that that level of unpreparedness or foolishness is a lot of fun Mm -hmm. 
it, it's a really interesting dynamic that you can build up between the warlock and the patron when you're borrowing or stealing maybe Ooh. some of their power like because it, it's a it's a power um dynamic in a way a lot of fun warlock arcs can revolve around potentially losing their powers if they piss off the patron or if they're not doing what they agreed to as part of the pack to get powers in the first place if you sold your soul to the devil and he asked for 20 babies in return and you're not sending babies in regularly you might lose your powers and that's such an interesting dynamic to work with your powers are not really your own and you have to keep deserving them in the eyes of some terrible being agreed or some uh incredibly good being who may be i i feel like the better way to put it is incredibly alien being because yes. uh i i struggle to put fey on you know the good evil axis like they're they're just they're chaotic they're weird they're mm-hmm. unseely and alien and then you do have inherently good entities on there and I, I think just sort of the big way to think about it is good or evil they're alien and weird and they don't think or act or uh, um, work the same way we do. Uh, you might have a celestial entity goes like, "Go, go kill twenty babies for me," and it's like well, that sounds pretty bad. But there's there's maybe some grand design going on that's just yeah we can't comprehend. That is definitely what I lean towards more as well. Like not fully understanding your patron or even being able to fully communicate with them. Um, I loved warlocks before uh campaign two for critical role and because of that travis's character ford has always been one of my favorites this is very minor spoilers for like early campaign two but he had a lot of visions of his patron reaching out to him and the impression you get is the patron can't fully communicate with him and the messages that come across are like single words to the effect of like consume and it's like oh my god okay I, I just, I love that vibe of, like, it's trying to communicate, but th- it literally can't fully translate its ideas. I think as DMs, something I would encourage, if you have a warlock in your campaign, is to fully flesh out the patron's motivations. Mm-hmm. Even if the the player itself doesn't know and won't know for a long time, you should know what the patron's goals are or what it's trying to achieve just so you can sort of drop hints every now and then and you can still make them totally alien and still you know just give them the message consume right the, the player can figure out what that means or what to do with it but i feel like you should know what your patron is doing even if it's on a grand cosmic sense if they are the embodiment of of hunger right i mean that's a pretty basic example but if they're the embodiment of hunger they might want to be consuming things and devouring and just figure out what that patron is doing on its own time and how that kind of trickles down into what it would want from the warlock. And that, it doesn't need to like be like directly related to what the patron wants either. Like uh, you don't have to have your uh, warlock acting as the agent of uh, Zugaluvarus, the <laughs> uh, consuming it. It's sort of like, it could just sort of be like minor things that, um, uh, uh, that it needs to be done or sort of like uh, maybe just spreading its will is perhaps sufficient thing rather than mm-hmm. um, uh, I feel like a lot of DMs myself included especially early on in this edition were more inclined to be like alright this warlock's the player character the obviously main character they're going to be sort of the, uh, the patron is going to be using this obvious main character energy to have them act as like the avatar the agent of its will and that's sort of it's, it, 
could be neat when like you know they're higher level and the patron knows ooh this guy's this guy's real shit. But like early on, um, like especially like a level one warlock might not be uh, exacting its its patron's will upon the populace just yet. Mm-hmm. I think man, there's there's just so many options for how you can set up this pack dynamic. There's truly endless, especially when you get into like um, hexblade and pack to the blade. Um, that your patron could actually just be like a sentient weapon, which is a whole other flavor of, of interesting. Um, there could always be more to that. It could be that this weapon is your patron has been forced into this state. It could still just be some small avatar that represents a bigger being. There truly seems to be like endless options for just background elements of the warlock. And it's um, not just for pact of the blade i'd say either even if you do pact of the tome or pact of the chain your warlock your patron could straight up be a book uh oh, sure or, or 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 your your cat could be the patron uh, i think it's uh a lot a lot of cool options there to just you could go like micro or macro scale yeah i had a pact of the tome warlock once which straight up just ripped off harry potter and like they could they wrote in the book to directly communicate with the with the patron and it would occasionally like the, you know the ink disappears into the pages and then comes back as the patrons um responding i love that that was fun i also like this is a minor thing but with that character especially in other warlocks i sometimes like flavoring any knowledge checks your warlock is making as the patron informing you if you mm. have like a mental link in some way a lot of like what your character knows could just be coming from the patron and i kind of like dipping my toes in that like i don't want to say like imposter syndrome that's not the right term but basically you're sort of faking that you know what you're doing when it's all coming from an external source i, I love the idea of some sort of like country peasant just like from village just stumbles upon some incredibly arcane uh powerful eldritch artifact and suddenly gains powers and doesn't know what the fuck he's doing but mm-hmm. keeps getting hints from this 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 evil book or this evil tentacle monster in space yeah another this is a super minor thing and probably obvious um when you're building up like the the patrons of your setting have a way that like or keep in mind a way to make access limited otherwise why wouldn't every person want to set up this pact i mean i guess there's probably some negative side effects but if it's really easy to just slap a ritual together and get warlock powers i feel like a lot of people would be doing it or alternatively, make the uh, uh, access point fairly easy and introduce, uh, and next time uh, a particular cult comes to town, rather than use the uh, the cultist stat block in the book, give them all some warlock levels. An entire town of warlocks? <laughs> oh yeah. Just like an entire cult that's uh, with, with warlock powers. So the easy, there's a little bit of easy access, but like, um, you know, there's still plenty of negative side effects to go along with it. But if you're crazy and uh, deeply invested in, in this, this Eldritch Entity, why wouldn't you just sign your soul away? Mm-hmm. Mechanically speaking, I think the thing that makes Warlocks the most distinct from other spellcasters is obviously their ve- very, very limited spell slots. They start out with one spell slot, at level two they get two, but, and, but by they max out at 17th level with only four spell slots. Which sounds rough, but they do regain those spell slots in short rests. So, I always say that they are the most like complicated and most simplified spellcaster. Because they're I, weird. I, I would agree. And I, I think it helps, like you said, make them very distinct. As well as yeah. uh, sort of kind of exemplifying sort of in a mechanical sense the kind of deal they have. 
like sorcerers and wizards, the power belongs to them, like we mentioned earlier. Um, so they've got a lot more spell slots to go with. They've, they're working hard to, you know, manage that. Whereas the Warlocks is borrowing this power. They don't know how it works. It's just sometimes when they snap their fingers, fireballs show up. <laughs> and they, they're they not being familiar with that, don't really have their, their sort of Nova form, their, their, the ability to go out and do cool things is a lot more limited. And where they shine more is their ability to do sort of small-scale uh, cantrip things a lot more regularly. The, the other weird aspect of their spells is um, they always cast at the highest level they can. So every time you're casting your spells, you know, it, it scales as you level up in the class, but it's it might always be third, always fourth, always fifth, no matter what you're casting, which, again, kind of simplifies spellcasting mechanics. Um, you don't have to think about what level you're casting it at. It's just that level all the time. It does... You do... um. So those slots only go up to fifth level, but you do get another feature called a mystic, uh, called Mystic Arcanum, at that that lets you get sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth level spells, but you can only cast one, uh, one a day. One and per correct me if I'm wrong; those don't count against your normal spell slots, right? You've got like one exactly. spell slot for each of those levels. Those are their own thing. Mm-hmm. And again, I I kind of almost prefer this method, because um, it you just you know what your big guns are and you can do them once a day. You don't have to stress too much about, okay, what do I want to do at seventh level? What's my going to be my eighth level today? Like, you know, you have that, you use it, you know what your highest level ability is and you can use it when you want. I, I it's, it's, uh, steam, streamlined, streamlined, streamlined in a bit. And I kind of like that. Yeah. It's sort of like a nice contrast to the flexibility of wizard, uh, and, <clears throat> sorcerers and it's sort of versus sort of the more you know straight shooting uh simplified but powerful uh thing that warlocks have it's they're they're sort of more uh they have flexibility in the other areas but they're very much they definitely feel more like a uh um the sort of a big guns type deal like we, i can do this yeah. this thing once uh, and it will be real cool. Whereas a wizard is going to spend more time sort of strategizing, planning. All right, what what <laughs> tools do I have in my belt to to handle this situation? Yeah, like we'll get into it more, um, obviously, because we're going to break down more of the warlock's mechanics. But like, I kind of like comparing them to the wizard because I don't think wizards are a bad class by any means. But I think if you break <laughs> down the wizards, their their entire class is just I have all the spells. Which is useful, because there's a lot of good spells, but I don't think wizards have too much going for them feature-wise that's interesting, apart from give me spells. Yeah, their sort of whole thing is just, they have a lot of spells, they have more spells than any other class in the game, and uh, they do get some neat features as a result of their archetypes, but sort of the whole draw of wizard is, I, I do magic, which, mm-hmm. um, uh, which is why, like, looking at their class table, they, they sort of look a bit barren in features. Uh, and I think that's fine, but that's sort of that just sort of their their whole shtick is flexibility, preparedness. Yeah. In, uh, in terms of spellcasting alone, wizards are definitely the most like utility focused, or in general, probably just the most useful. I do, I think you know I still still gotta go for warlocks because warlocks do get not nearly as many spells, but they will eventually get those higher levels too. They do get eighth and ninth level spells. But they have so many features apart from that that make them extremely flexible. So every class gets archetypes. Um, the warlock has an archetype in the, the form of the patron you choose. 
a packed boon, which is packed to the chain blade or tome, which gives additional features, and evocations, which are a special little customization option that warlocks get. Every couple levels, you basically get to choose new minor features, and there are a ton of them. So I'm not going to get into all of them, but there are so many that in combination with the archetypes and, and pack boons means there's so many warlock builds you can do. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of these evocations that are also limited to the the pact boons. So like there's a lot only available for pact of the blade or pact of the tome. And man, there's there's just so many. As as a, as a three point five baby, uh, I, I I have a lot of appreciation for the warlock because fifth edition in general oftentimes to me feels a lot like um, really watered down D and D because my experience is like you got millions of feats and skills and all sort of things to different customize exactly how your character works. And 5e feels a lot more linear to me. And so I really like the Warlock, how you know, you've got basically two different uh, layers of, of archetype and then invocations to like completely build your class differently. Like at, uh, any one build of Warlock could be completely different than another. You could have like through Hexblade and other things like an entirely melee-based build. I think there's a Fey invocation that gives you basic, like lets you like have a ranged pack weapon or something. Um or you could go full caster, you could be like an illusionist. It's so much crazy shit you can do with it, and it, it makes me real happy that even if it's only on one class, those options are available. Yeah, I, I wouldn't mind seeing something similar to evocations in other classes, just minor tweaks that let you choose new features and abilities. Like, why not? It This is, like, the, all these options are a big reason of why I'm drawn to Warlocks mechanically. Because every time I look at the class, I go, oh, I could build I could build this. Like, here's a bunch of combinations of something I could do. Like, the other day, uh, Tori, for your game, I was leveling up Drez. And he's built to be, like, a very utility-based warlock. And then I was just looking at all the Hexblade stuff. I was like, oh, I could do a really fun Hexblade build. So, in the middle of building one warlock, I got fun ideas for a totally different warlock. And that's just what happens every time I open up the, the page to warlocks. Mm-hmm. It's it's real cool. I I play a um, a rogue warlock in in, in one of my games. Uh, okay. Who I I, w- I want to talk about uh, mid campaign warlocks at some point later. But he's he's one of those, and uh, I, I love the sort of like he he's a very utility based thing as well. I love like he he's got like a he had to like sacrifice his eye to this patron, and so now he in return he received sort of like this this mystical magic eye, and so like all of my abilities that I take, I'm sort of like theming towards that. And I was like shocked how many spells, like even with their limited selection, I could take that would, um, mm. that I could still theme like perfectly towards that. It's like he just like flips the eye patch up and does cool magic shit. Um, and there's, Warlock, a... there's just so many options. It's very very fun to play. Uh, I'm I would be willing to bet you took the detect magic at will evocation. I I I don't think I've ever played a warlock that doesn't have that one. It's very good. Uh, if it wasn't obvious. One of the evocations just lets you cast Detect Magic at will. And, like, there's no, like, downtime to that. So I try, if I do pick it, I try not to be an asshole to the DM. But you could literally have a permanent Detect Magic radar going off. I, uh, that's it, pretty it, useful. It does <laughs> technically require an action to be used, I, I'm pretty sure, um, still. It, it does say at will, and I feel like that means something different than 3-5. Even if that's not the exact ruling on it, that's kind of how I play it as well. So I'm not like in the middle of somebody else's turns like, damn, detect magic. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it's it's very cool. Another another classic invocation that I rarely leave home without is Mask of Many Faces, faces which allows Disguise Self at will. 
incredibly mm-hmm. powerful. Yeah. I am always someone else. I believe that spell lets you change your voice as well. I don't think so. I could be wrong, though. Shit. Well, the thing is, warlocks have such, like, they're, they're based in charisma anyway, so you probably are going to be fine disguising your voice regardless. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those are, are two of the super incredible ones. You also, there's um one that uh, I think you can't get it till about 7th level, but you can polymorph once a day. Also incredible. And the fun thing about polymorph is that you can actually inflict that on others. It doesn't just have to be yourself. You could actually target an enemy with that. And once a day is kind of a downside, but it's... it's as long as it doesn't such... use one of your spell slots, and that's just a free spell slot. Exactly. There, it's another free spell slot. Spell, spell slot. And there's so many evocations that do that, that let you just pick up new spells. And on one hand, I, I could get why that feels like, well, you're just... You're making up for disadvantages in the class with other features of the class, so you're not, why not just play a wizard... But again, it's just customization. So if you want to pick up a new spell or two, there's options for you there. And you can you can just fill out your spell sheet. Your Alternatively, spell you could just buff Eldritch Blast seven times. That is something that's really hard to resist every time. <laughs> I feel like Agonizing Blast is almost a requirement with how often you'll be casting that spell. The yeah. other two can be like give or take depending on what you're going for. But plus five, like up, plus charisma bonus to damage on, on your... Uh, primary attack move is 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 real good yeah so even like even with these like limited spell slots warlocks have access to one of if not the best damaging cantrip in the game eldritch blast is a d10 of damage that's pretty good that's better than most like martial weapons i'd sell my soul for a d10 cantrip oh god me i have many times (laughs) and like nathan was saying one of these evocations you can pick up is agonizing blast which lets you add your charisma modifier to the damage so that's upwards of 15 damage from it, a cantrip. Yeah, because it should be noted that how Eldritch Blast works is as it levels up, you don't add to its damage, you add more blasts. So yes. whereas, like, I think Firebolt, just the damage goes up. If you were adding your Charisma bonus to that, it would just do, still be a raw plus five all the way up to level 20. But with Ag- Agonizing Blast, since Eldritch Blast is shooting up to, like, three blasts a, a turn, that's 15 it- raw damage. I think the max is four blasts. Four? 20 yeah. bonus damage. Yeah. Which yeah. getting flat damage bonuses in this edition is whack. It's so good. It's such a good cantrip. So, and that's just if you pick up the, the Agonizing Blast. There are a few others which aren't as mandatory. Uh, Eldritch One Spear. One range up to like 300 feet. Eldritch Spear makes it 300, which I usually skip because the base range is 120, and you're rarely fighting things outside that range. That is a huge range already, but I have done builds where just for the hell of it, I take Eldritch Spear, which makes it 300, and then I take this uh, Spell Sniper feat, which doubles the range of spells, so that you have a 600 range cantrip, which is just... (laughs) That's intense. It's unnecessary. You're. I've never been on a battle map that's more than 600 feet wide, but when you're in theater of the mind, I don't know, just snipe people off towers. Why not? Or if you're doing like a like a siege battle or something, uh, yeah, like a huge battlefield. Maybe you're like standing on the battlements and you can just pick out priority targets anywhere in the the, the besieging army. The um unle- unleash on them. Two other fun ones are Repelling Blast, and I, I forget the name of the other one, but it, it pulls... You can either push or pull people 10 feet on every hit. And it... I go back and forth on how good this is, because 
situationally, if someone's right near a ledge, you could push or pull them off, and that's pretty good. And you have to keep in mind that it's with every hit. So if you're hitting three or four times, that's 30 or 40 feet. You can push or pull someone. This one's really, I think, dependent on the game, how good it is. Theater of the Mind, it might not be as strong, but if you're playing in a group, especially with a DM that really likes that really crunchy tactical combat, positioning yeah. and movement on the grid is insane. Like, uh, you can, like, you could just take a ranged combatant, put them next to your friend, and on their turn they could smack them, and if they want to get away, that's an attack of opportunity or, an, or, a, or a withdraw action, which is, regardless, action economy in your favor. You could, like you said, move them off a cliff, put them into difficult terrain. Maybe there's a, a AOE field. One of your friends sit down, put them in there. It's just, there's a lot of, a lot of flexibility and a lot of power in just moving mm -hmm. someone around with like up to three times on your turn. And this is like a lot of investment to put into one cantrip, but it kind of deserves it. And Agreed. I think this sort of speaks to just how much flexibility is, is here in the class. There's uh, more evocations, though I just remembered it's something. Um, Nathan, do you remember that time I used Repelling Blast to nearly end our friendship? I might oh have pushed it out of my mind. <laughs> so uh, remind we were, me. We were playing in a in a campaign together, and one of the first sessions was a like um like a tournament, and the way you got eliminated was either being knocked out. I remember this. Or pushed out of the ring, and our characters were up against each other. So I think round one, I cast Command on you, and I told you to walk. Like, just leave, because that's not harmful. Uh -huh. So you, you left, and you had just enough range to get right to the right to the edge of the arena, and that was my turn again, and I blasted you out with a repelling blast. And I felt kind of bad, because that was stacked against you, but I didn't know. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it's I See, the fact that I forgot about it means you're, you're probably forgiven. Uh, I don't Let's even hope. remember what character I was playing. So I don't remember either. Probably some just, ranger. There are definitely situations where a couple of feet of movement that you can push or pull an enemy is going to really help you. I yeah. usually don't take it because there's a lot of other evocations there I want to pick up. But again, there's just so many builds you can do. It's 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 and I think um, even if you feel like maybe like. Even we're we're sort of like calling these like mixed bag like maybe like uh, give or take options for Eldritch Blast, but mm -hmm. I, like I think Charles mentioned with, with how often you will be using this cantrip, uh, I think even if it's maybe a little bit outside of your intended build, um, they're generally almost always worth it because mm -hmm. you you've got this, uh, for most of your early game two whole spell slots. You're gonna lob a couple fireballs, done. If you need any more damage, it's coming probably gonna be coming from Eldritch Blast, and so. Might as well give yourself a little bit of utility with it. 600 feet of range, that's maybe dependent on what kind of game you're playing. But I think being able to move people around just several times on your turn, um, if, even if it's a little bit outside of your build, always worth taking. Doesn't mean you will. Uh, you might have something else you want to take, but if you're... I, I don't think it is ever a bad choice. Yeah, and I think, like, especially early game Warlocks, you don't have a lot to work with outside... Because... You might have just two spell slots, so three rounds into a combat, you might have burned both of your, your spells, and you're left with Eldritch Blast, essentially. So, for the sake of, like, your boredom, it's it's probably not a bad idea to be able to do something a little more tactful and, and help move people around. I've definitely had uh, campaigns where I feel like I'm just doing Eldritch Blast every turn, 
And that, that, I will admit, is a kind of a downside of the class. Sometimes it feels like all you have is Eldritch Blast. It's actually one reason uh, on my current Rogue Warlock guy I was talking about earlier, I specifically did not take Eldritch Blast. Just for something different? Yeah, just sort of play things around. I think um, I don't think he has any damaging cantrips at all, but he's got Rogue levels, so he makes it up with that. But he's also got 14 Dexterity, so in mm. general, just don't put him in a fight. That's fair. <laughs> he, he's there to detect to detective things. I really like building uh, Ranger Warlock subclass, uh, uh, Ranger Ooh. Warlock combos. Um, I've been doing that since 3.5 when they, you talked about 3.5 for like a, a hot second, Nathan. Um, <laughs> I do like to bring it up. They were introduced in 3.5, but they weren't introduced as the core. They were introduced, I think it was com- Complete Arcana with the three W's. I think it was Wujin, War Mage... Warlock? That sounds about right. Yeah. Um, and then they were made official in 4th edition. Um, like an actual core uh, class. And ever since then, I've really liked building Range of Warlocks because of Eldritch Blast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my uh, adversary is too close or too far away. You can just snipe them with the same kind of damage if you have Agonizing Blast um, with 5th edition uh, that you would get with a longbow. Uh, I, I remember in 3.5 you could empower your weapons with Eldritch Blast energy. Can you do that in this edition? That nope. sounds foreign to me, so... Nope. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> that's neat. Uh, that sounds like a real strong thing, though. It I played is. A, uh, a, a great sword warlock in 3.5 once and it was wild. Oh my god! Strength based. That sounds amazing. Tori, so what? Are, what are like the the fun combination of mechanics with warlocks and rangers? Because would hunters mark? Hunters mark probably. Hunt, like hunters mark carries. It's concentration based. It oh, stacks on stacks. Um, and I like pulling up. You've played with me for long enough. You know that I like. I like them stacks of damage. Oh yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh. I like building something strong mechanically, but I just find that warlocks are, we talked about it before, they're just really good for roleplay. Yeah. Um, they're literally a built-in backstory. It's so easy. And if you don't want to build in a backstory, you can just say, my patron took my memories away. And then... <laughs> <laughs> they're definitely like so versatile in, in how you can set up the origin of their powers. I feel like if you look at a sorcerer, it's like... Yeah, I was born with magic. If you look at a wizard, it's like, yeah, I studied magic. Yeah. Obviously, there's exceptions there, too, and I'm, I'm sort of simplifying them uh, to, to strengthen my own argument. But they still kind of have the same bases, and warlocks are like, the, I don't know, there's so many ways you can approach that. Yes, I, I fully agree with that. For example, uh, you, you could uh, your warlock origin could happen in campaign. Yes. Yes, that's a fun thing. I feel like warlocks are the most fun class to pick up as a multi-class. That's what Aspen did in our Curse of Strahd game. Yeah. He made a deal. And it, and it was actually like a plot point. It was a thing that, that happened. It wasn't just like, okay, we hit level four and I'm going to I'm gonna grab Warlock. It's like, we're going to, there's going to be a reason for that, actually. Let's, yeah. let's, let's work out why. Like, you could multi-class into fighter. It's That's not like that weird of a thing to learn how to fight a little better. But to pick up a patron? No, there should be like an in-game reason why that's happening. Yes. If I had a nickel for every time that uh, I, 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 a player, and, uh, as a player in one of my games, uh, I ended up taking Warlock levels later on out of two nickels, which uh, 
<laughs> Not a lot, but it's weird that this happened twice, and my group has definitely <laughs> noticed. Uh, I, I've got a reputation, apparently, for, for uh, taking Warlock levels halfway through a game. One of my favorite characters I've ever played, uh, Alden Brannigan, started as a 20-int, uh, six-wisdom wizard who was just kind of fucking around with his life until uh, he got teleported across the continent, his home got burned down, and his, his the love of his life was separated from him, and suddenly a demon came to him with a piece of paper. Uh, he signed that. He read it. He knew that there was a weird fine print that didn't make any sense in there, but Six <laughs> Wisdom doesn't doesn't care. Uh, <laughs> That's awful. That, that guy was an absolute legend. I, I mean, I, but he couldn't remember like, it. <laughs> it's like a little tropey, but I I love that trope of my power is not enough. Like a wizard or a sorcerer who maybe has a base level of power. I think it's more fun for wizards. Like they've been studying and studying and they, maybe they hit like their natural peak and it's not enough. That was like his sort of exact thing is his, there was a sorcerer in the party who was, uh, 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 when they realized what he had done and you know, he'd been doing terrible things with powers. Like what the hell did you do Alden? And he sort of basically strips like dog, your, your power comes in your blood. It belongs to you. Mine came from a damn book. <laughs> I needed I'm, more. Yeah. I like uh, that a lot. It was a lot of fun to play. There's just so much cool shit you can do with warlocks. And then sort of building them in the middle of a campaign, sort of just sort of adding that that sort of darker alien element to uh, who might have been a reasonably stable character can really just change the whole course of that campaign and that character as a whole. And it's just, yeah, there's so as, much cool potential for that. As DMs, I think it's it's a fun idea to present these powerful artifacts that could give your character your your players a link to a patron or straight up a, a means of communicating with a patron in the first place if you give them options to mm -hmm. start subclassing into warlocks i think a lot of the times they'll jump for it because oh big time you, it's just such a fun relationship you're setting up because like there's there's a lot of really good ways to multi-class just to really like any class of it so like your martial classes like you take weapon training or uh, some of the magical classes you begin to study a little bit or you manifest sorcerer powers but i think like warlocks clerics and paladins and stuff where you sort of warlocks in particular where you sort of this entity comes to you or you find faith and find this and, and sort of adopt it has it, i think is so much more compelling yes yeah because once again that built-in backstory i do think for long-term campaigns i do think as a dm i need a reason for your character to cross class Mm -hmm. um you can't just have a sorcerer at six level that wants to like i'm gonna take ranger for my next one and it's kind of like <laughs> <laughs> you're in a city in. there's not a blade of grass and miles <laughs> please explain this um warlock is the easiest one to go to your dm and go my character wants more power and they want it the easy <laughs> way um but with that also comes, like, really cool plot twists and stuff. Yeah. And I think one of the neat things about it is it can sort of just come, like, at random as well. Like, it doesn't, like, like uh, most of the time when I've done it, it hasn't really been planned. It kind of just happens. Like, uh, my rogue warlock I talked about earlier, mm -hmm. uh, he took warlock levels because he straight died in session two. Uh, oh, God. Mm. He opened a door with one hit point, and there was a Kenku on the other side who said, ah, sneak attack damage, let's go. Uh, and, uh, that was it. Uh, and my DM was a very kind person. I would have been cool letting the character die, but DM let our party's warlock beseech her patron, uh, Ooh. to bring me new life, Ooh. which, uh, my character, uh, was, you know, uh, 
confronted by this eldritch abomination and basically said, if you give me a sacrifice and I'll bring you back. And he had unfinished business, so he did it. And uh, I talked to my demon leader and says, yeah, so I, I have warlock levels now, right? And he said, if you want. Nice. Hell yeah. I feel like that's fun, especially early on. You were level two. It's level a little... One. I was level one, I think. Oh, that's even worse. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> rough to die level one. And it's like, okay, new character. It's like, all right. Damn it, uh, yeah. I, I've, I've had games where players have died level one. I'm like, oh my god, okay. And Whoops. I ended up giving them basically a like um, ghost class it's something it's a matt mercer thing i can't remember what it is undying Mm. something i'm off topic but the point is uh (laughs) dying that early on is a little underwhelming and warlock is such an easy way to help that character continue on have you ever heard of the undying patron well there's a there's a good uh there's a good way to go from there yeah Yeah. basically the the undead warlock maybe you've got a lich patron or maybe just some Maybe you just came back from the dead or something. It's sort of like the undead theme. That's kind of where I went with this guy because he's mm-hmm. he's sort of like it's he's beyond his time, is the idea. Mm. And it's just it's it's very cool. I like that one a lot. I think it's good. Like I think uh, at some level you basically turn undead. You don't need to eat, sleep, drink, or whatever. Uh, the thing you get at level three from it is that, uh, or level one, whenever you get the patron, is uh, if an undead tries to attack you, it needs to make a wisdom save to. Yep. Uh, to even do that because it like partway through the attack my wait a minute you're one of me zombies <laughs> don't need other zombies that's not how that works <laughs> i think if i was to do a it's warlock like that on on borrowed time i like the idea that they are actually dead like they don't have a pulse anymore Ooh, they're not they're probably not like rotting away but they're not technically alive either like and in stasis yeah kind of like give the impression that if they fuck up this pack they're just gonna drop dead because they kind of already are it's sort of like it's you know warlock's theme in general is you're using borrowed power with this undying warlock. You're using borrowed life. It's yeah, not, it's not yours anymore. Not only Your are body you is borrowing being puppeteered power. by this entity. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do have to say to touch on uh, our DM from Strahd, uh, with the ha- uh, spoilers if you haven't played Strahd yet with the hags and we separated them, and he forgot to take away some of their mechanics. And. Uh, mm. Aspen wasn't supposed to die, but Joe and I discussed it, and that's how Aspen ended up getting his powers. Um, that's a really good way to use it. And it's okay for DMs to make mistakes. It happens all the time. We're human. Mm-hmm. Um, but I liked that he used the mechanic of... Oops. <laughs> I made them way overpowered because they weren't together. And... Uh, I had briefly spoken to him about wanting to take Warlock before, and he worked with me to make it into a storyline, which was really yeah. smart. Um, it was an easy. It was an easy fix for the game, and it kind of it just kept things going along. Yeah, instead of like retconning, yeah. what had happened, we just said, okay, well that did happen, and here's what happens as a result, and you just roll with it. Yeah, that was that was genius. Mm-hmm. And it was, and, and then there was a lot of fun, like, role-playing moments from that, too, because we were aware you had died, so yep. when you were still being reckless, Locke was like, could you please stop? I don't know if you're giving, like, a second chance here. <laughs> oh, man, Please that was be beautiful. more careful. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was good. That was good stuff. Man, I, I, I'm always thinking about just, like, reasons for the pact, so, like, sustaining your own life is fun, but also, like, I guess in a similar vein, if you have some disease that's killing you. 
that could be a reason oh. for a pact. If you're trying to save a loved one who is sick, Guess. there's a lot of like um, selfless reasons you could be in a pact. Yes. It doesn't always have to be power hungry mad. It could be like more of a tragic um, pact arrangement where out of necessity you sought this and you're willing to do whatever it takes to help someone close to you. <coughs> I can't help but to feel like you're talking about one hey. character hey. in particular. <laughs> no! This reminds me of, of, of the character I mentioned earlier as well, the, the Alden the wizard guy. He's, he was kind of the same way. Mm. The wizard guy? Wizard man. Uh, yeah, the, uh, the wizard. Negative intelligence mod. No, neg- negative <laughs> wisdom. No, negative wisdom. Wisdom, thank you. Oh, oh boy. Yeah, yeah he, that's kind of what he did. Rock. Is, he was He was so dumb. Uh, but he, he that, that was kind of what he did. He, his, his, uh, wife was, um, in the hands of the BBEG and, uh, Ooh. he didn't think he was strong enough to save her. Yeah. I love that. I mean, like, ugh, man, there's just so much you can set up with that because maybe that does give him enough power to win the day, but then you have a whole other problem. How do you throw off the shackles of this patron? Yep. Now that it has its fingers in you, this might be an even bigger problem. My DM actually threw me a bone with this character for that one. Uh, the... The patron explicitly, like the like uh, Alden, the the warlock, as part of the contract, um, is basically I sell you my soul and you give me the power to save those I care about, those I, the people I love. And the patron's mm-hmm. like, that's the deal. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> at the end, at the end of the campaign, the patron said, "Hey, go kill your brother." Oh uh, fuck. <laughs> and my my twenty int uh, uh, character immediately caught the contract break and, and severed it right there. Oh wow. Uh, patron was not happy. <laughs> I bet. Man. If you think about it, even if your patron's the one that breaks the contract, they're still an extra-dimensional, horrifying eldritch monster. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, do you really think you're in control here? You can set up warlock patrons to be the big bad guy of a whole campaign. I I think it needs some proper set um like groundwork, so you're not just making the warlock the main character. But if you can set up that warlord or that patron to threaten the whole party and have its fingers in, in lots of pies throughout the campaign, you could a hundred percent justify that warlord uh, patron eventually being the big villain for the whole campaign. Yes. Then you get that moment at that final confrontation. Yeah. Turn, turn on your friends. Yeah. Like, I mean, if you can allow your, if you can be a patron of Cthulhu, that's definitely an entity worthy of being a final enemy. And plus, like, just if if these if this relationship is kind of shitty, <laughs> if the if the patron if the excuse me, if the patron is a straight up like evil or alien being, something that needs to be taken down, when the warlock finally gets to confront them, it's one of the most satisfying like culminations of a character arc. I've oh, absolutely. Seen. When uh when Percy fought his patron in campaign one, that felt like it was such a big emotional moment because this thing mm-hmm. was fucking with him for so course. long yeah critical role it had been fucking with him for so long that when he finally got to actually like put it down ooh, chef kiss it's 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 really cool i it's there's just there's so much like built-in stuff like you could you could build a warlock at a patron and just sort of run them normal and not really touch it very much but like i, I just love that the class itself just has this built in and it's, it gives you this base template you can go off of that mm-hmm. can really end up with some serious and compelling stories. Agreed. I have two warlocks in my campaign right now. And um, they were both given their powers in vastly different ways. One was greed and one was desperation. 
Are you talking about the Neo game? Yeah. There's another warlock? There's another warlock in my game. Um, no one else has cast Elder's Blast. <laughs> no, they haven't. Who the fuck, who the fuck is it? <laughs> um, while warlock, honestly, in my opinion, power-wise, like, out of the 12 core cl- uh, classes, it ranks in the bottom for me in terms of strength. But on the other side... It's just really, really good for gameplay. I always love seeing a warlock in a campaign. At least one. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the idea of having these powerful entities having a say in the storyline. Mm-hmm. Making their their influence known. Yeah. I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't touch on Drez at least a little bit. I love him. I'm not going to talk about his motivations because nope. spoilers. Um, yeah. But his, I want to talk on his build a little bit because you said warlocks are underpowered, and I, I definitely like understand the mindset. Again, no spell slots sucks. So yeah, <laughs> I guess I also want to preface this with I don't. I'm gonna I'm gonna be really hypocritical in a second. <laughs> I don't necessarily encourage mid maxing, um, because I think you're sort of looking at the wrong element of what makes D&D fun, which Correct. is stepping in the shoes of a character and role-playing uh, their interactions with people and just becoming a new person. That being said, I think I do that enough that I've earned some mid-maxing. <laughs> I also think mid-maxing is okay. It really depends, just depends on your style of play, I think. Yes. Um, I think we yeah. like the role-playing element of it a lot, but there's definitely a lot of people out there that are really in it for the numbers. Cause, if that's yeah. what you enjoy and that's what your whole table enjoys, of course. Go yeah. for it. And obviously, I enjoy it a little bit. I know you so, do. So, like, <laughs> knowing knowing that warlocks get so little spell slots, I built Drez to try to rectify that as much as possible, mm-hmm. and I think I did an okay job because I, I literally doubled the amount of spells he has. Yeah, <laughs> I'm uh, for it, that. This wasn't all intentional, but I sort of realized a build was happening and went for it. So, as a drow, he gets three additional spells: yep. uh, fairy fire, darkness, and uh, dancing lights. I yes. think. As a Pact of the Tome, mm-hmm. sorry. Uh, nope, Pact of... No, it is called Pact of the Tome, yeah. Uh, his his patron is different from his Pact. Warlocks are weird. Yes, thank you. Pact... I forgot your patron was your homebrew. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pact <laughs> like... of the Tome ga- gives him three more cantrips. Yes. Um, there's an evocation called Book of Ancient Secret- Secrets, which gives him two yep. more spells. Yeah. On top of that, he can now ritual cast. Yes. So... And they can only be cast as rituals, but I feel like there might have... Oh, uh, there's another evocation that gives him false life. So on top of all that, I have literally doubled the amount of spell slots he has. And most of these don't actually use a spell slot. The racial things are all like once a day. Yes. Cantrips are cantrips. Yes. Pact of the Tome... uh, Ritual. Yeah, yeah. Book of Ancient Secrets is ritual. Pact of the Tome is, I think, actual spell slots. But point is, I actually can do quite a lot now. You can. Even though I technically only have two spell slots. And he's starting to feel really utility-based. And then I can still fall back on my beefed-up Eldritch Blast. Which, yes. now I can cast two of them. And with plus five charisma, that's, what, like 30 damage upwards in a single action? Yeah. He's, uh, mm-hmm. he's starting to be quite fun. I, as a DM, enjoy a beefed-up warlock in my game. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like, it's really, really easy if you don't know what you're doing, playing a warlock who is a full caster, but 
shackled, limited, um, if you choose a warlock to start off with and you're not as educated into D&D and you just want to try it out, it can feel stifling to play one. Because mm-hmm. um, you have your, at uh, from like, what, second level on until, what is it? Tenth level, like, you only have when you get two. your next spell slot. Yeah, you only have two spell slots a day. So like you use them when it's just it, Nathan said this, Eldritch Blast. Like, what does the warlock do? <laughs> Eldritch Blast. Um Yeah. <laughs> if but if you know what you're doing, that's when the warlock can become more fun. But that's why I say, like, for me, warlocks are unfortunately just the base warlock at the bottom of the pack, and it's up to the player to do what they want and then that will move it up the ranks for me drez mm-hmm. is not your typical warlock at all there, there's there's a lot of range and flexibility to them because on so he, he, there's drez who's based around as many spells and utility as possible and mm-hmm. i won't go into as much detail with this build but the hexblade build there's kind of like really only one but there's a lot you can do with that. You can take an improved packed weapon evocation, so yep. you're doing plus one. And packed it's of the considered blade. magic. Yeah, pack, well, I think it's packed of the blade alone makes it a magic weapon, which you're just immediately ignoring yes. anything that would resist non-magic damage, which is so useful at level one. Are you kidding me? Yeah. You can get another evocation that basically gives you extra attack, so you're on par with martial classes. And then eventually there's another one which adds charisma... Your charisma mod adds damage with every attack to with your that you're doing mm-hmm. with your packed weapon. So it's really powerful. I'm also gonna throw real quick, if you pick up Tiefling or Drow, you'll eventually get the darkness spell. And then if you grab the Devil's Sight evocation, you can Stop cast it. darkness on your packed weapon, shroud your enemies in darkness, they have disadvantage on attacks, and you have advantage. Yeah. Uh, should it's worth noting that you can fuck over your own party with this but if you just like claim one enemy or a couple you can just totally dismantle them and like this is again this is kind of like like i like warlocks that build is so vastly different from the drez build but it's the same class and i would be hard pushed pressed something i i can't really think of another class that has that much range in terms of builds i think it's also worth noting uh we, we were talking about earlier about um, feeling maybe a bit stifled or stymied in this class. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, and that's a lot because, you know, with inexperienced, like, like Tori said, with inexperienced players, it, it, you might have the wrong build. You, you definitely want, I think, with the Warlocks, look into, talk with your DM beforehand. This is, uh, and I have, I've experienced with this as a Ranger player, about what kind of campaign they're going to be running. And this is what the Session Zero is for as well. Because mm-hmm. if you decide you want to play like a, like a sort of utility Warlock with, um, you know, uh, mask of many faces and, and the the detect magic cantrip. You're probably going to have a bad time in a dungeon delving campaign, yes. where yes. you you have these invocations that are being so that seemed really cool and really useful to you that are generally useless because you're just fighting goblins the entire time. Whereas if you if you're grabbing the whole suite of eldritch blast cantrips and you're playing an intrigue campaign, once again might feel a bit sort of weak and 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 mm-hmm. sort of restricted. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is definitely a class where you want kind of kind of because of the range of, of abilities it has kind of want to know what's going on beforehand so you can pick the right build and the right uh, idea for what this character needs to be. Because you're, you're probably going to end up kind of specialized. Yes. 
you and I built, uh, not together, but you and I, at the very beginning, we bankrolled ideas together. Because um, my game, which is a Greek god-based game, mm-hmm. there, there are certain gods you just can't get your power from. And it has to do with what their goals are. Of course, there are some gods that are just like completely neutral. And then also, like, I'm a big fan of being able to have a chance to communicate with who you've drawn a pact from. And uh, mm-hmm. they're just some gods. That's not an option. So I remember, like, when we were trying to find one and we finally settled on who you picked, who you picked ended yeah. up being, like, the perfect option for you. It just took us a yeah. while to get there, but we came there together. I'd been knocking around this idea for a warlock a while, uh, a character who had ties to, like, the afterlife or spirit world, at least, someone who basically could see ghosts and uh, wanted to help them pass over. Mm-hmm. And I don't mind saying it because it's been mentioned in game now, but he, yeah. in this Greek god setting, we ended up tying him to the the boat keeper, the ferryman Charon, who ferries yeah. the, the dead. And it, there's perfection. a lot of, like... He really just fits in that world perfectly. Um, I I won't say much much more about like how that pact was arranged because yeah. players in that campaign might listen, but he did work nicely in there. And like it's it's just another example. Like warlocks can fit anywhere. You can make them yes. paired with any like extremely powerful being. But it, gods. But it is wise to work with your DM for it, especially mm-hmm. for this class. There's stuff now that I have in my game tailored just for you. Just for Drez, yeah. um, because you and I were able to to discuss hopes, dreams, weaknesses, that kind of stuff, um, in building who your your patron was going to be, in that that kind yeah. of vein that I don't have with a couple of my other players, um, just because like my fighter. He has an interesting backstory, but he doesn't have ties to a being like you have ties to a being. <laughs> yeah, playing a warlock definitely asks a bit more from the DM because they have to figure out where that patron is in the world and what they're doing. And, and what they want. Exactly. Yeah. And fighters are neat, but you don't <laughs> usually need to justify the existence of an eldritch being Correct. <laughs> for that fighter to, to Who work. do you think taught me how to fight? Come on. Cthulhu? <laughs> yeah. Cthulhu is great with a great sword. Let me tell you. Are there are there any uh, patrons that you guys like for warlocks? I think I'm 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 a I'm a traditional warlock guy. I, I like the fiend. Uh, fiend is very good. It's a it's a it's a classic example. It's sort of what I think of when I think of warlocks more often as the the devils and demons. They're really cool. And oh, I, really? I, uh, and I, I absolutely love one thing that I, I fell in love with the warlock in this edition immediately upon seeing the fiend's 14th level feature where you literally oh, yeah. just teleport someone to hell for a bit. Hurl through hell is really <laughs> good. I love this. It's like, why don't, why don't you just take a trip to, to the underworld for a little bit and see, see, see in a little bit, homie. I mean, aesthetically, it's hilarious. <laughs> just go take a and chill also, pill. like, mechanically, when you hit a creature with an attack, you can transport them. There's no save. You just do it. Yeah. They're gone till the end of your next turn, and then they take 10 d10 psychic damage, one of the least resisted things, and free, put like upwards of 100 damage. Oh my god. That's so, so good. That is. Say head of Satan for me, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and uh, fiends also have a, their level one feature is really good. Every time they knock something in zero hit points, they get temporary hit points back. 
dang good. But yeah. Tori, you said you like Celestials. I do. I like it almost for the same reason why Nathan likes beans. I really yeah. like something holy making deals. There's just something about it that's just kind of like them falling from grace just a little bit by giving uh, your character rules, guidelines, expectations. Um, mm. Kind of to draw on it, you know a little bit about it. I won't go deep into it, but Aspen is, uh, he, uh, he gets its powers from a celestial. And he oh, had yeah. to he had to perform a task, and there was no not performing that task. I, yeah, I think I like I like the idea of a celestial patron because you might assume that like they have your best interests at heart, but they probably don't. Correct. They're still these like incredibly powerful beings on a cosmic scale, and you are nothing but an ant compared to them. So yeah, you might be nothing but a pawn in their battle against hell and, and yeah, it's well, also a lot of fun. The nine hells. It's also a lot of fun because sort of like, especially in these fantasy settings, we often sort of imagine or depict the the gods and deities of the setting as sort of, um, for whatever reason, not taking direct stances in the world. Uh, you could have, could have, of course, like a Greek setting where the gods are absolutely there. Yep. But I feel like in a lot of sort of the traditional D&D stuff, they're all in their planes, micromanaging their, Own staff. Um, their, yeah. their <laughs> servants and their powers and stuff, occasionally uh, letting a little bit of their power go to the clerics. So what's driving these celestial entities who are, you know, not supposed to get involved to making direct bargains and deals and interacting directly with mortals? I think I think that's real intriguing and a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah probably nothing good. Nothing good. <laughs> like, in, uh, so in my game, which has been covered, um, if you get, gods can't really walk on the mortal plane in my game, which has been established. Yeah. So they're definitely pawns when they when they when they shove off their power a little bit for uh, clerics and, and warlocks, they expect you to act like them or do do for them what they cannot do for themselves. Yeah, the patron I, I guess that that I think of usually that just like, comes into my mind when I think of warlocks is great old one. Yeah. Something along the lines of Cthulhu. Yeah. Um, probably just because i love that lovecraftian stuff so much but they have some fun features too at first level you can telepathically communicate with other creatures and that's that's a level one feature to communicate with things telepathically is really useful and you they only need to know a language you don't have to share anything it's very cool i i uh, it's i think i like fiend more but i you know i've been saying eldritch horror and eldritch abomination this entire episode (laughs) i think uh the (laughs) The uh, great old ones probably sort of where my mind goes first as well. Yeah. And it's, it's, yeah. it's with a good reason. There's a lot of really cool flavor there. But, you know, Deal with the Devil is very much its whole oh, another absolutely. flavor, and they both are justified as warlocks. Uh, well, uh, warlocks are really cool. If you uh, like the, if you're, if you're good at the numbers, but maybe uh, a little bit inexperienced with the sort of role-playing story-building side of things, Warlocks are a good place to start for you. It's, it's got built-in backstory, and it's um, got its own really unique, distinct flavor mechanically as well. I agree. Uh, yeah. Very cool class. Yeah. They are my favorite. That has not changed. We probably won't for a long time. I just think they have so much going for them in terms of just aesthetics and backstory and mm-hmm. mechanics, too. There's so many ways you can build them. Um, there's so many origins you can give them. I like, I stand by kind of my viewpoint on them. I think they're really good for cross-classing. Um, mm-hmm. 
for the character who does like to cross class, who wants to give, let's say you're not a full caster in your original class, it's because the spell slots are a little limited. And if you don't know what you're doing, it's a good way to kind of like dip your toes into casting. It's just good all around, especially if you yeah. work with your DM to kind of throw in a little extra spice. <laughs> I kind of, I feel like multi-classing into Warlock is probably the most exciting to do yes. mid-game. Oh, right? yeah. If, if you've been a, like, I don't know, just a sorcerer for half the campaign and now you're a Warlock, that feels more impactful than if you rolled up with a Warlock. And I usually roll up with a Warlock, but <laughs> once you've established that character in the world for for several levels and then their relationship changes mm. it's interesting you, yeah. you get to see you get to see that happen in real time i guess in a similar vein the potential of losing that pact is just as interesting yes and as a wizard you get you get to have that fun and spooky moment where your, your party doesn't know what happened and all they see is you burning your spellbook for warmth in the cold desert air <laughs> stop it <laughs> i don't need this i feel like shots have been fired with that <laughs> Oh, this is something my character did. I don't know. It's... Oh, stop it. <laughs> I just like talking about Alden. He's one of my favorite characters. He sounds he sounds beautiful but stupid. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. We're going to be back next week discussing our home rules, the rules that we as DMs implement at our own tables that are kind of unique to our, our own games. But until then... Talk to you later. Hasta la pasta. Talk to you later. Bye.